When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the family with Tevin Pittman. Alex Brandt Bernard Rasmussen. Co-host Catherine Brandt. Andy Brandt Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. That was in order and everything. Yeah, I know. Yeah, look at that. I was I was looking at the table in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, what when do I go? Uh we shall be right back. Kick things off with the family. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer is rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24 hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas have a flat tire guess what walzer has your back the best thing about walzer care it's free with purchase that's right i said free so if you're shopping for a new or used subaru honda nissan mazda toyota buick gmc chrysler jeep dodge ram hyundai or chevrolet see my friends at walzer and get walzer care for free Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Ooh, I love this song. Money, 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 money. Sometimes they sing it to Fawn with her name and she gets weirded out about it. What's wrong with you? She, yeah, she I goes, wonder. Mom, what are you doing? Is she old enough to exactly. be embarrassed by you yet? Oh, she tells me not to dance oh, yeah. or not to sing. All the time. <laughs> but I think it's not. Already? I, think it's, I don't think it's out of embarrassment, though. I think it's out of. Because she, she, she'll be like, I'm the one dancing. I was going to say, right. it's I'm because the she wants to be right, the yeah. one. Yeah. Don't yeah. take my, my uh, star mom. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I yeah, always am like, I'll do? dance if I feel like it, child. Well, to give you a. Uh, con- um, 
what do you call it? I don't know. Well, whatever the word I'm looking for is. <laughs> Hard I'm to sick. say. Um, what was it that Fawn did to you, Mom? You were looking at something, and she didn't want you to look at it? Because her, she... sometimes. You were looking at something, her. and she said, you can't look at it because I want to look at it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. She'll be yep. like, she'll be like, which color is your favorite? Yeah. She'll put like something in front of me, and I'm like that one. She'll be like, no, that's my favorite. So that can't be your favorite. And I'm like, you don't understand <laughs> no. that everybody can have the same favorite of something. It's yeah. true. It's she's, absolutely true. It's the concepts of life that she's learning. <laughs> Do you think that Greta Thunberg has already been exposed as a fraud because of this train thing? You can, you know about the train thing? What no. train nope. thing? Please tell us. Well, first of all, please somebody explain something to me, okay? She do, she won't fly. She's on her way home uh, to Sweden, and she won't fly, oh. but she'll take the train. What, what sense like does an that? electric a lot of train or something like that? You still burn better. energy. You are still burning energy to keep that train moving. Yeah, but it's any a lot sort of travel less. takes a yeah. lot of energy. But trains are a lot less. Yeah. You're still moving. I don't know. Tens they of are. thousands of pounds, many, many miles. Yes. That takes a yeah, lot of energy. Exactly. Even at 100% yes. efficiency, you're still talking about an well, amount of energy not, required. She's not to trying to get 100% efficiency. She's just trying to go for the lesser of the evils, I think. Yeah. Well, but why travel well, at she, all? She, is, she, is she rowing a boat back home? <laughs> she should be. Why don't you walk? I think as long as she's not taking her private hard. jet solo across the world, yeah, then, like then you're fine. Yeah. Leonardo has that. Yeah. yeah, he has her jet. The tweet <laughs> seemed harmless enough, but when you're Greta Thunberg, people pay extra attention. Over the weekend, the 16-year-old, well, she's 17 now. She just turned 17, apparently. Uh, act a climate activist tweeted a photo of herself sitting on the floor of a train surrounded by luggage, traveling on overcrowded trains through Germany. She wrote, "And I'm finally on my way home." After a year on the road attending climate summits and protests, but avoiding air travel because of its effect on the climate, Thunberg is indeed on her way back home to Sweden, reports The Guardian. But her train tweet didn't sit well with the German rail company Deutsche Bahn. We were happy that you traveled with us, but it would have been even nicer had you also reported how friendly and competently you were looked after by our team at your seat in first class. Uh, <laughs> Whoops. Uh-oh. Yeah, I saw she, <coughs> she had like a staged photo of her with her bags just like laying on the floor because she said it was so oh. overcrowded oh, that she God. couldn't get a seat. Well, now she has no credibility. She wasn't in the uh, luggage compartment. Oh, the dig prompted Thunberg to clarify that she didn't. She did get a seat for just part of her journey, Mm. and to suggest the rail company saw an insult where none was intended. We sat on the floor on two different trains. She wrote, "But you didn't have to." Right. See, you can say yes, I sat on the floor, but you didn't have to sit on the floor. I am pretty sure that that would be a safety. Standard that you can't be sitting on the floor with your luggage because you would be blocking. The yeah. aisle if there was an emergency. Exactly. I've Anyone never seen anybody happen. sitting on the floor <clears throat> with yeah, their luggage. I haven't ridden the train in a while, but it's not like they're overcrowding to the point of where people are if, hanging on the okay. back or something. She has she has a right to complain if she was on a train in like India or something. Right. This is top of nineteen twenties and you're trying to get across the country. <laughs> they have like thousands exactly. of people on the outside of the train just trying to get to where they're mm-hmm. going, hanging on for dear life. I mean, come on. Well, yeah. even in subways, you're not supposed to you don't sit on the floor, you stand in the yeah. aisle if you have to stand. So you can get out. Oh, my God. We sat on the floor on two different trains, she wrote. After Jotigen, I got a seat. 
This is no problem, of course, and I never said it was. Overcrowded trains is a great sign because it means the demand for train travel is high. You're in Europe! (laughs) It's always been high. Yes. (laughs) The AP has some context on why DB might be a wee bit sensitive on the subject. It once had a reputation for punctuality, but has taken flack in recent years for late trains, cancellations, and high fares. Here's what I love. So she lies flat out. There's no way she was sitting on the floor with her luggage for any distance. She did that on purpose. Right. But, of course, what does the press do? They take her side. Oh, yeah, well, that train company sucks. Well, that's a better story yeah. to be negative. God. Yeah. yeah, her publicist probably told her to sit there and put some bags around yeah. her and make it look exactly. as me. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's a flat-out lie. Everybody knows it's a lie. Why bother? And I agree with Meatloaf that she, she's she been sold a bill of goods, mm-hmm. you know. And by the way, Meatloaf now refers to himself. 72-year-old Meatloaf calls himself, and I quote, a self-confessed sex god. <laughs> he, <laughs> he is not a good-looking man. The I'm sex sorry. symbol to end all sex symbols. What, what do you mean? He's, I don't wow. know. He'd do anything for love. <laughs> he would. But I won't he do would that. Indeed. <laughs> but I won't do that. No, oh, thank god. you. So did we ever figure out what that was? Was there? What is the that that Everybody's he sings got, of? Everybody's know. got that that. I think it has something to do with bringing home a load of coal, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I just Google it. I just don't understand what the groaning part was all about. I just, you know, one of those situations where, yeah, I just, this is really unfortunate because, and I would blame this on her parents, by the way. What's her dad's name? Savante or something? Isn't his name like Savante? I don't know. Savante Thunberg or whatever it is. You need to rein this in because your daughter is autistic. She needs some, you know, some direction. And you're giving her the wrong direction because now you're famous. See, the one thing we got to understand now, Mr. Mr. Thunberg is now famous. Her father, oh, yeah. I know who he is now. I didn't know who he was before. But you better reel and rein this in because it's going to get worse because there is no way a train company will let you sit on the floor with your luggage right in the middle of a train. No way. Right? Not. No. I don't think in Europe. I think there might be some countries that that's acceptable, but I've yeah. never seen it in Europe. And Damn. I have. And I have ridden on trains in Europe. Well, honey, they, I'm surprised to see that people actually travel by train in Europe. People <laughs> on vacation what? to travel by train in Europe. Of <laughs> course, exactly. the demand is high. I know. It's like, what the hell are you thinking? What is wrong with you? So basically what we're learning is that anything that's driven by Hollywood is a flat-out lie. Because she got famous because Hollywood accepted her. Leonardo DiCaprio, all of a sudden they're the best buddies in the world. Look, I got nothing against Greta Thunberg. She's a 17-year-old girl, and she's taking, you know, taking her father and mother's lead. It's not her fault. No, but, they're scared the hell out of these kids. They exactly. tell them that they're, you know, we're all going to die in 12 years. So they're they're terrified. Okay, so I have a question for everybody on the show, and you need to help me with this because I do not understand. Mm-hmm. I was looking at one of these climate change uh, documents. They said that basically they're very very concerned because they measured the ocean and it was up a third of an inch last year. Really. Was that at high tide or low tide? Yeah, exactly. Where did you measure 
Yeah. Where did you measure this third of an inch? You know, the ocean kind of ebbs and flows. I don't know if you know that or not. Well, yeah, and the, the ocean floor is not flat. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, where are they? <laughs> the, like, just, climate change, like, if it's the summer and it's hot, then everybody, like, oh, global warming. And then when it's the middle of winter in Minnesota and there's a blizzard, everybody, no, climate change isn't real. And so it's, it all just depends on what yeah. season it is. Everyone's <laughs> idea of climate change is it. based on their immediate yeah. environment. It is the well, that's why this the, thing, like the wildfires <laughs> thing. I mean, people always they hear about a California wildfire. You know, it's sweeping through the state and burning everything. Do you know how many wildfires California has in a given year? I'm gonna go with a hundred. I'd say thirty. A whole lot more than that. Really? Let's see. I think I can find a. I, f- I found a number earlier, but I want to make absolute certain that it's true. See, there right, well, were... Oh, this here we go. Oh, you got it? Okay. The past 19 years, California has an average of 8,000 fires per year. Oh, my wow. God. Yeah. In the past how many years? Uh, average of the past 19 years. 8,000 fires. 8,000 fires per year. Uh, as early oh, as 2003, a million acres burned. Jeez. So, How's there anything so, left to burn? I know. Exactly. Well, most of California is a, an arid or semi-arid it is. area, right. right? Right. So, you know, brush just will catch on fire. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, another tip I would give to all those people, you're not supposed to live there. I don't know if anybody told you this or not, but yeah, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's really nice. But But they have no water. (laughs) You're not supposed to live there. There's no water there. There's not very. I don't understand why you'd want. It is pretty. I understand that. But people should have never been allowed to live there. But again, they pay taxes, and that's what this is all about. Oh, we can collect more money if we let people live there. Well, you know, unfortunately, the governments are supposed to, our government is supposed to regulate how many people live in an area of what is sustainable. Right. But, you know, like you said, when there's money to be had, all that goes out the window. Mm -hmm. They were draining the swamps in Florida to build. Yes, they were. About 30, 40 years ago. Found out that that's. Not a good idea for the environment, but they were doing it anyway. My favorite is still New Orleans. Let's build a city underwater. Right. <laughs> like, build this. Build this big dam that will hold all the water back. Yeah. This is no problem. Well. It'll never break. What well, could go wrong? It's all true. Well, what remember um, the Fukushima power plant thing in Japan? Sure. They had that sure. tsunami, and the power mm-hmm. plant flooded, and a whole bunch of bad stuff mm-hmm. happened. Well, there were like thousand-year-old stone markers all over that area that in ancient Japanese said, do not build below this point. And below (laughs) that point is where they put the power plant. (laughs) So it turns out, yeah, it's hubris. They think, no, we we can handle it. Those old people, they didn't have the technology to build underneath the ocean floor, but we Mm. do. Like you know how long the Neanderthals it, like, knew better. Yeah, and like, do you know how long it took them to write "Do not build here" in the stone? Like, it must be important. Oh, yeah. if they don't. <laughs> it was very important to them. They must yeah. have been serious. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Terry Gilliam, you guys know who Terry Gilliam is, don't you? No. I do. Yeah. Remember Monty Python? He's the no. the, the illustrator. Oh. For a Monty Python, very very funny guy. He's from Minnesota originally. Is he? he is? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, he is he Minneapolis. Won, well, yeah, he's from Minneapolis huh. originally. Huh. 
Terry Gilliam offensive? The Monty Python alum seems to relish the role. Smiling as he tosses off explosive opinions in his latest independent interview is no different. People work so hard to be offended now, says the 79-year-old. I don't know why I'm doing it. It's not fun anymore. Yet the director, the man who killed Don Quixote... Still rips into hashtag me too, defends white males, and claims Harvey Weinstein's victims made choices. Terry, Oof. what are you doing? I mean, that's kind of been Monty Python's thing for like 30, well, 40, that's true. That's true. however many years. I was with that's him true. up until like they started to turn in the second half of his statement. <laughs> People yeah. work so yeah. hard to be offended, and then he went the complete opposite of what you have to work hard to be offended about. Well, that's true. Yeah. Hashtag me too. He says, yes. I said, hashtag me too is a witch hunt. I really feel there are a lot of people, decent people, or mildly irritating people who are getting, mildly irritating people, I like that, who are getting hammered. That's wrong. I don't like mob mentality, which I do agree with him on that. That mob mentality thing we have going right now is disgusting. Uh, when you have power, you don't take responsibility for abusing others. You enjoy the power. That's the way it works in reality. Uh, I understand that men have more power, had had more power longer, but I'm tired as a white male of being blamed for everything that is wrong in the world. I didn't do it. And no tribes. I don't like the term black or white. I'm now referring to myself as a melanin light male. I can't stand the simplistic tribalistic behavior that we're going through at the moment. He's right about that. The tribalism right now in my life is at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. The tribalism is disgusting in America right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how base do you have to get, you losers? Well, people do whatever works for them. I guess. I guess you're right about that, but I don't know. It's whatever. Uh, in the response, Pink News calls his remarks a feeble attempt to prove that white men are the real victims, while the Women's Equality Party in Britain says, we're tired of white men calling witch hunt and refusing to examine the societal privileges that afford them so much uh, scope to behave so poorly without consequence. There's a lot of guys on the planet that don't take advantage of people yes, and don't molest people. I would say the majority of men don't do these things. I can put my hand up because, as Catherine knows, I don't do those things. Never have. So, I mean, you're taking a tiny fraction of the male you know, population and thinking and... Applying that to all males. That's faulty thinking. Every group has something that they do worse than every other group. You just have to find it. We've got to take a break here, but I'll close with this. A comment on the Terry Gilliam story mm-hmm. from Cyborg51. And now for something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That was her slug line for years. We'll be back with the family. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. 
And you are? Real nice. Chuck Nabla. <laughs> Chuck Nabla. If you're one of those folks out there still putting up with contact lenses or dealing with glasses, think just for a moment, what would it be like to wake up to a clear morning and experience your day with all the freedom LASIK brings? Well, I'm living proof. That dream can come true. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With the new year right around the corner, it's time to set your sights on 2020 vision. Get $500 off LASIK through the end of the year at Whiting Clinic. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contacts, then it's time for you to find out if you're a candidate for LASIK. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com for your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Imagine 2020, buy 2020, and let 2020 be your best year yet with $500 off LASIK at Whiting Clinic. Offer expires December 31st, 2019. Both eyes only cannot be combined. Results may vary. What? Are we back? Yes, we are back. Oh, your mom's over here. Tom, are we back? What? We were talking over the break. I was just in Chicago, and January first, Chicago opened up recreational marijuana. Now they have right. They had medical marijuana. Yeah, Illinois. Cassie, Cassie sped down as fast as she could. Well, no, I went. I didn't even know it was she happening. Didn't, she didn't even bring anything back, so don't get your hopes. <laughs> and I didn't know. I didn't even know it was happening. And I found out when I was there because I went and visited my stepdaughter and her new baby. And uh, so I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go to a dispensary and get some edibles because we don't have edibles at our medical dispensaries here. And people out of state can purchase in illinois but you pay at a higher tax rate and you're limited to how much you can buy if you're a non-resident um so i went so i'm like okay well and not all the dispensaries can sell recreation yet they have to get approved for it so it's kind of that's a slow process so i found a dispensary that will sell recreation so i went there (laughs) there was a line it looked like Black Friday shoppers. It was going Jeez. out the door, around the corner, down the block. <laughs> Cops were directing traffic. Well, a news yeah. story just broke. In f- guess how much the state of Illinois has made on recreational marijuana in just five days? $10 million. Eleven a billion. Over, over $11 million in five $11 days. $11 million. Yes. We can't do that in Minnesota, though. We don't need that money. Oh, I know. And I guess, like, there's been, like, six to 700 new applicants to open up their own dispensaries now. So everyone, oh, yeah. They're going to be popping up everywhere. And it, I didn't even know it was legal. And I walked into the hotel, and I'm like, why does it smell like pot in here? And I found out that they have recreational marijuana now. Because everywhere you go there smells like weed now. It was in really Chicago. funny because Catherine and I, Catherine like and I were in Illinois five <laughs> five days before it went legal. Mm-hmm. Hmm? We're there. What, were there on the twenty seventh of December? Is that when we were in Illinois? Uh, yeah. I think it was the twenty sixth to twenty seventh of December. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were in Illinois, and it's like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> in four more days we'll have recreational marijuana, but not when you're here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was it was crazy just to see the frenzy that that was. Uh, recreational marijuana i haven't seen that yet and if that happens here that's exactly what's going to happen we're going to have people lining up outside oh yeah oh no doubt oh 
Yeah, you're gonna, and it, and it will happen in Minnesota sooner or later. There's mm-hmm. no doubt. There's no doubt it's gonna happen in Minnesota sooner or later. So. We stayed at one of the worst hotels in America. Oh God, it was <laughs> the most dreadful. Oh, I want to hear about it. Piece of crap place ever. Well, don't, that place don't. smelled like they were like. I mean, there was weed. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what what kind of weed they were smoking. Right. It was just oh my god, the whole place just smelled. Uh-huh. The good news was that oh. the the ceiling in the bathroom was about to cave in. Oh, the tile on the floor was cracked in several places. The toilet lid was cracked. The toilet lid was cracked. Wow. It was the biggest crap hole we've ever stayed in. It was unbelievable. Crap hole. And it's a very it's a very famous name for hotel a hotel chain too. Yeah. Why can't we say it? It's true. It's all true. Mm. All right. It's a pretty gray area, I would say. I don't know. What I mean, do you mean gray? In the getting sued part? Yeah. You, you, well, okay, why don't you mind. do a review Extreme. on Yelp? Right. <laughs> there you go. Do your Yelp review. Okay, how about, right. why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? I have photos. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> okay, so so remember the Cape Crusader, uh, and, then, and then the... There was another guy. It was Batman, and it was Superman. There was another guy that wore red and blue, had an S on his chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was his name again? Oh, geez. Uh, Wait, what? God, Dave would know this off the top of his head. Um, oh, come on, Superman. Superman. Okay, I thought you said it was, Superman. Yeah, didn't you? I, I thought it was just too obvious. Okay, mm. so you I'm take trying Super, to be Captain. Obvious. You take Superman, <laughs> and then you place the word man. With the numeral eight, and that's kind of in the ballpark of what we're talking about. Oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> I know. When we told Dan where we stayed, he's like, What? <laughs> Don't ever stay in that chain. Never. Yeah. It's terrible. But this one was we parked the car, mm-hmm. get out, and there's like dog shit all over the stall next to us. Yeah. It's like, all over. Well, this is a nice welcome. Okay, you keep and saying then... stall, just say parking spot. Because stall <laughs> makes it seem parking. like you're in a bathroom. Right, like you're in the public restroom at <laughs> yeah. a Leonard Skinner concert or something. You stall. Who calls it a parking <laughs> stall? I, uh, I've, I've had that happen because <laughs> I've traveled a lot. <laughs> One hotel Dave and I stayed at in Los Angeles, we had to stick dryer sheets in the vent because it smelled like there was a dead animal somewhere in the, in the vent. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, you you didn't even see this part because we never really turned on the light because we got in so late. We just kind of went in and we were like, we don't care anymore. We just need a bed. We have mm-hmm. to go to sleep. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> you got, oh my God, after Tom so, lost his phone, which he had actually plugged in in the room. Oh, yeah. So and looked, that, that, looked for it for 45 minutes. I was a little tired, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I had turned on the light in the room. And the entire ceiling was nothing but water stains oh. and and bul- and like bulging in areas. I'm like, I'm just gonna turn this off because Tom's gonna make me get up and go find another oh. room exactly. <laughs> if, if he sees what's going on in this place. Oh, you want to put everything in Ziploc bags and not touch anything? Oh. Oh, I God. really wanted to take a shower in the morning. It's like, I'm not taking nope. a shower in there. <laughs> that's there how our ain't Air- no way. That's how our Airbnb in Iceland was when Dan and I were there. for. We were there for one night, and it was just, like, so disgusting. <laughs> we didn't even... Wasn't it a we, bathroom? It was... So, yeah, it was an Airbnb that this woman owned, and she was, like, so stoned out of her mind. Like, she, so they lived... It was like an apartment 
duplex kind of thing and they lived in one side and then across the hallway was our room which was an old bathroom that the toilet had been removed out of but there was still a sink there was tile and a drain in the floor oh okay and i I, there weren't hardly any airbnbs in all of iceland while we were there but iceland's super expensive this was when did we get married five years ago um but hotels in Iceland are super expensive, and we're like, well, we're there for one night, so let's just... And it had good reviews, but yeah, it was an old bathroom. It got there good was, reviews. That's yeah, amazing. There were stains on the floor, and to go to Ugh. the bathroom, we had to go into her apartment, and she had two kids... And we walked in there to, like, brush our teeth, and her boyfriend was, like, asleep draped on the couch, and it smelled, like, so strong of pot. We were like, oh, God. But, yeah, we didn't even sleep on under the sheets. We slept on – we laid sweaters on top of the bed. And everything smelled like cat urine. And there was a big – yeah. And every and there was a big stain on top of Dan's sheets, and so we laid sweaters on everything. Oh, and this is when Iceland was twenty, almost twenty four hours of light, and there was no shade on the window, and so Dan, oh, yeah, Dan covered his face with like a like a neck buff thing. And woke up and his face was swollen the next morning because it was so tight on his face. So his eyes were like all puffy and I was like, oh my God. So he was trying to not have light in his face all night. Yeah. When trying we were, to survive. Yeah. But we were like searching for different places. We we're like, should we go stay somewhere else? Like, what should we do? And we're like, no, we'll just lay our dirty clothes and <laughs> on top of the beds and sleep on our dirty clothes because that's better than their sheets. Yeah. I wake up to Tom. Tom's examining the chair in the room. He's like, what the hell's all over this chair? Yeah. <laughs> it was like turd stains on the I'm chair. Like, oh, just don't look at it. Don't no, look at it. Don't look at just it. pack and go. No. We'll just get out of here. No. Yeah, I don't think no, I've had any bad, bad hotel experiences like that. I think the worst is living or not living. We went on a hunting trip in California when I was in high school, or in California, in Colorado when I was in high school. <laughs> like, oh, and uh, there was we were like we're roughing it out in the woods, and we would have to go to this small like shanty town to shower. And the building that we showered in was like this bar that happened to have a shower like upstairs, uh, and the whole nice. thing was just filled with smoke and nasty oh, and God. like you uh, shower and you felt like you didn't even get clean because you yeah. walk out into uh, a yeah, like, smoke-filled dirtier cigarette. than yeah. I was before. It was yeah. gross, nasty. Yeah, it's the world of travel, you know. <laughs> well, I just don't understand how a hotel like that. I mean. It was super. It was super cheap. What was it? What was it? Yeah. Tom, do you remember what the uh, price? Seventy-two dollars. But it's still seventy-two dollars. How, how do these places yeah, stay in business? Well, because okay, so that chain. I think of that chain, and I think like. That's where like gross prostitutes meet right. their clients, you right. know. Ah, and that's like, was the, and was that's, the Waldorf filled? Is that yeah, why you guys were there? <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. No, it's it's the only place that would take a dog. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, well, actually, actually, it just was getting. It was so late. Tom's like, "Oh, look, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of hotels over over here. Let's get off on this exit." So we go over there, and there's like, we went to the two that looked okay. 
and How they didn't take dogs. So, <laughs> yep. And then he, so we're like, oh, well, here's one. So Tom went in there and said, do you, do you allow animals? And they're like, yes. They're like, they, us, let, they probably would have let us bring a horse as long as we pay cash. As long as we pay cash, we don't care. Did they have the price on the sign outside? When you guys I don't think up? so. Oh, well, maybe say- they did, but I didn't notice. But in the morning, so we take off, and we're like, one exit up. There's a bunch of hotel chains that are good and do take dogs. Oh, God. <laughs> one you could exit have just up. been a little patient. Well, uh, we were desperate. No, yeah. We that were tight. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, I was like ready to just, why don't we just pull off and sleep in the car? I don't even care anymore. Would have been better. Get some sleep. <clears throat> yes. It would have been cleaner. <laughs> Uh, Tevin. Uh-oh. Yep. What the hell did you do to Betty Danger? Well, as in, like, the Betty Dangers? That's, they're closed now in the winter? Is that what you're talking about? They're closed during the, yeah. in the winter. They now close. Oh, that's oh, because they're because they I, probably, they're money makers, the big yeah, patio, Yeah, I'm going to let it? you know a little secret. Not a yeah. lot of people go there in the winter. <laughs> yeah, I was they want, say it just yeah. Betty Dangers, there's just middle-aged white women that want to ride the Ferris wheel and take a selfie at the top mm-hmm. while drinking one of those uh, slushy yeah. margaritas. Oh, yeah. And so, okay. yeah, in the winter, it's a, what we would call a ghost town. Well, what they could, the they could market it, they could say, like, you know... It's 20 below. It's an extreme oh, Ferris wheel. Yeah, and they try survival experience. They would do like we would do um, like winter wonderland. They would call it, like a sleigh ride in the sky and hot chocolate and anything to try and that get people sense. out there. But like they have work. blankets. Oh no, people are they just want to come Minnesota in. Minnesota is no better. Because yeah, and in the summer like that, it's from the time they open to the time they close, just packed to the wall. Packed. Yeah, yeah. till two. So they don't need so. to work in the winter. No. People who are not from environments like this, they think like you know, you got a blanket, you got a, mm-hmm. you know, you got some nice hot chocolate. You're gonna be cozy and warm. But at a certain point, you know, you yeah. could be drinking molten iron and you'd still be once, cold. Yeah, and once you're at the top <laughs> and the wind starts going, yeah, then exactly. yeah, you're like, no, no. get me out of here. There's no cozy mm-hmm. at that point. My favorite, my favorite story about that place was the city didn't wasn't gonna allow her to put in the Ferris wheel and. So she, that's why you can't call it a Ferris wheel. You call it the danger wheel because it's technically a vertical dining, a vertical <laughs> dining room, not a Uh-oh. Ferris wheel. And so that was like the oh, loophole to okay. let the city put it up. Sake. So yeah, so All it's right. a danger it's wheel. Bureaucracy for you. Yep. Ah, uh, yep. It's the danger wheel. That's what it is. Yep. Uh, so Betty Danger's closed during the winter, and Catherine and I lost one of our favorite restaurants over the week. What? Sanctuary closed. Oh. What? Open that's sad. Yeah. I know. Sanctuary closed its doors after New Year's Eve dinner service. Aww. The forward-thinking restaurant in downtown Minneapolis is known for its five-course, $35 tasting menu, uh, while Ch- Chef Patrick Atanelian uses a laboratory for his ever-changing menus. We really like the place. We really like the owners. Uh, the food was terrific. It, it's just, I don't know. When are we going to learn that you can't dictate how much businesses need to pay their work that was was a small place they didn't have very many tables it was such a cute it was so like cozy and i love them i thought they were making people or businesses or restaurants that didn't have very many or some amount of employees was it more exempt from the yeah it's like 15 dollars. yeah it's it depends on how many employees you have there's like two different levels or one's like i think 12 75 or something like that and the other one's higher or at least it was like that well and then there's also like depending on how many employees you have you don't have to pay the health insurance or you only have to pay part of their health insurance yeah there's all sorts of proclivities or whatever for uh smaller businesses but it still doesn't Mm. I mean, when the laws are made in places where $50 will get you one sock, you know, mm-hmm. 
places in the Midwest. That's they true. just the laws don't work here the way they do in major metropolitan areas because everyone yeah. everything is ten times more expensive in New York and LA, but that's where the people who make the laws live. So they think, oh, you know, fifteen dollars an hour, that's barely enough to buy bread. Whereas in you know Rural Nebraska, fifteen dollars an hour is like you can't pay your employees that because that money doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. yeah, and two, like on top of that, with just downtown, especially here in Minneapolis, <clears throat> there's been so many shootings and, and it's not that, a safe yeah. place to go out. So people don't want to go downtown. And then plus now with Hennepin being closed here coming up this next summer and all the construction, it's just going to make it more of a hassle to go downtown. So I think a lot of downtown businesses will struggle a little bit. That's too bad because I mean. <laughs> The troubles will just move streets. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to just go home. No. No, you're absolutely right. We shall take a break. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more. And please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Start the new year looking great and feel even better by losing 20 to 40 pounds with help from my friends at Ultimate, powered by Nutramost. It's Tom, and I'm thrilled to let you know that for a very limited time, you'll receive 20 to 30% off all programs with Ultimate's New Year's resolution sale. Do what I did, and let Dan and Neil Sheehy and the staff at Ultimate help you change your relationship with food forever. With the help of Ultimate, I lost 41 pounds and another 42 pounds in each of my two 40-day programs. Debbie P. from Anoka lost 31 pounds in 43 days. Cheryl S. of Webster lost 36 pounds in 43 days. And Ron D. from Lakeville lost 57 pounds in just 43 days. Live your healthiest life starting today. Schedule an immediate consultation and receive 20 to 30% off all programs for a limited time. Call Ultimate, powered by Nutramost. 763-333-7337. 763-333-7337. Are you really rocking out there? Is that the plan? Yes. <laughs> Since we were talking about hotels. <laughs> well, there is that. Yeah. I do have to tell you, by the way, uh, I didn't really mention much of it yesterday, but many years ago when the show first started, Tony Lee came on this show, which is really cool. And now he's rejoined the KQ Morning Show. He's been on for a couple of days. And, uh, honey, am I supposed to be able to read that? What is that? <laughs> That's your email right there. <laughs> no, uh, I got it. it That's no, 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 no. It's fine. I could. I just. Uh, uh, Sam, how you doing? Sam, you mean Chris? <laughs> well, whatever she sent me, I can't even read it. <laughs> Frank Cor. Chris. But Sam, no, Sam Francoeur's death from an accidental opiate prescription overdose. That, Chris well, Francoeur yeah. with so us, we're right? probably not talking to Sam. Yeah, yeah Sam's <laughs> no longer, no longer here. I just, well, <laughs> Sorry, Chris. You know what? Maybe, uh, maybe After people Sam could send died, me the information. That'd he be went nice. on to the Tom Bernard show. You should read the whole thing before you <laughs> say any names. You guys are mean to me. We did have the exorcist, though, the last <laughs> yeah, one, so maybe we could be talking. You never know. Well, is Chris ready? Yes. Okay. So. Chris, how are you? I'm good. How are you? 
Don't. I don't happy want anybody. New else. Year. Yeah, happy New Year. <laughs> Unbelievable. Of grief, garlic, and gratitude returning to hope and joy from a shattered life. Sam's love story was what I was trying to say. Sam's love story. Sam. Uh, but Sam is the. No, never mind. I'm not going to try to explain it. The way I. It was my, my pronunciation and enunciation was not good. Oh. In any case, Chris Francoeur with us. And you pronounce your last name Francoeur? So, how did this all start, Chris? I mean, how, how, how long ago were we talking? Sam died in October of 2013, and um, actually within uh, the first day after his death, I wrote my first post on Facebook about his death. But a couple days later, I wrote my first post on Facebook about the only good thing I could think about that had happened in those couple of days, which was a beautiful rainbow. And I started writing a daily post about gratitude. And eventually those posts and the journey those posts took me on became the basis of this book about coming through grief after losing a truly amazing kid. You know what's amazing about that, Chris, by coincidence, because I I never know in advance. Obviously, you know this now, but I never know in advance who we're going to have on the show because I want to have a fresh take on the whole deal. Um, but by coincidence this morning, I was talking about a meeting I had with, uh, was it, well, it wasn't a meeting, it was a dinner I was having with friends uh, before mm-hmm. the holidays, and I was just sitting at a table with, uh, with four other guys, and we're all about the same age, we're all within about 10 years of one another, and as I sat at the table, we were just recounting the year, and you know, the good things of the year, and the bad things of the year, and all the rest of it, and I just, all of a sudden, just realized, I just, I wasn't thinking about it, it just occurred to me that the three men sitting at the table with me, uh, actually it was four guys, three of them had lost a child, and the other one's wife is quite ill. And I thought, my God. But to be sitting at a table and realize three of my friends have lost a child, my sure. God, it was overwhelming to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, I mean, unfortunately, many, many parents will go through the loss of a child. And, you know, in our case, part of why I wrote the book was at the time of Sam's death, there was nothing out there for parents who had lost a child, or very little out there, for parents who had lost a child to an overdose death. And yet, you know, 72,000 Americans will die this year from an overdose. So probably there was a need for some, some books coming out. No doubt about it. One of my friends, as a matter of fact, his child did die of an opiate uh, overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing, and I, I'll say this very quickly, because if I don't say it quickly, I, I probably won't be able to talk much longer. But I was talking to my, my friend. His first name is Ryan. And when his, his son died, he, we met to talk about that. It was a few years ago. And he was pretty distraught. And I, and I said, so... Is there anything you want to talk about? He goes, do you know how hard it is to hold your little nine-year-old in your arms and go, it's okay, you can go now. Ugh. Yeah. I, I couldn't even talk anymore. Yeah. So how do you deal with it, Chris? Now, how old was Sam when he died? Sam was 20 when he died. 20 years and, old, okay. And, um, I, I, you know, as I've often said to people, at first I didn't deal with it. At first I died. Right. I put one foot in front of the other. I kept breathing. I usually made sure that my other children had food on the table, um, tried to do my job. 
But I had really shut down. I had gone to such a dark place that I had completely shut down. Over time, that, um, and I refer to it as conscious gratitude, the idea of every single day looking for something for which I could be grateful and expressing it, and for me expressing it in writing, gave me a few minutes every day where I didn't feel like I was drowning in grief. And eventually that practice got me to a point where more of the day I could see the light and the beauty and the joy than see the heartbreak. And and Sam was one of the most cheerful, outgoing, love-filled kids I've ever known in my life. And I, I knew right from the beginning, we knew as a family right from the beginning, that the last thing he would want was for us to stop living with his death. And so it was mm-hmm. a conscious decision to figure out what I was going to need to do to survive and eventually to find joy and hope again. You know, Chris, what amazes me the most, and if, and if I were in your position or any of my friend's position, certainly mm-hmm. my friend whose daughter died of a, an opiate overdose, the anger that I would have toward these politicians and drug companies that just want to make the money and don't care how many people mm-hmm. die, it's disgusting to me. It is. It, it, Why it did this ever happen? Is, and it's also, it's not, you know, it's, it's the doctors, it's the legal system that yeah, keeps yep. just cycling people through. It's all of these things working together, and they're wiping out generations. They, they absolutely are. I don't, uh, how, many, how many deaths did you just refer to? The, We're talking the about CD, how many people died. The CDC is, consistently refers to the opioid overdoses in the United States as running about 72,000 a year. Oh, my Jeez. God. 72,000 people die a year, and these politicians and business people don't care. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. How, how how do we let this happen as voters? How do we not stand up and go, you got to go? All of you, you have to go away. This is disgusting. Well, and I think it's also, you know, one of the things that we found, because Sam, Sam was larger than life, and he was very well known in our community, even if we had wanted to hide how he had died, we couldn't have. It, everybody. Right, right. But the other thing we found was that there has been such a systematic um, stigmatization of opioid abuse and overdoses and this viewpoint that it can never happen to nice families. It doesn't happen to educated families. You know, it's, it's somehow that idea of the them, the lesser than human beings. And part of our our decision as a family, and, and, you know, I say it as a family because we literally sat in our living room, our children, our parents, my husband and myself, and said, how do we go forward? And one of the things we talked about was Sam graduated at the top of his high school class. He went off to college. He had a good job at the time of his death. He had great medical, dental, mental health care, all those things, and he still developed an addiction issue. And we wanted to really sort of shove that out into the world and say, we can't keep saying that this is somebody else's problem. This is all of our problem. Yeah, yes, that's a very good take on it. Where do you find your strength, Chris? Um, I, in our family, uh, our 
family is very, very close. Uh, we are lucky as, you know, I'm, I just turned 50. Both my husband and I, our parents are both, our, all of our parents are still alive and very healthy. We have three living, wonderful children and incredible grandchildren. And their love for life, their love for each other, and their, all of our collective view, Sam loved everybody he ever met in his life with the exception of three people. And, and we joke about that a lot. He had three people he didn't like, everybody else he loved. And that we have chosen and found our purpose in sharing that love out into the world. Yeah, I think that's an amazing message. I really do think it's an it's a wonderful that we need a lot more people like you who will write things like of grief, garlic, and gratitude, returning to hope and joy from a shattered life, Sam's love story, to share to share your thoughts with people, whether it's in book form or doing interviews or whatever it is. You're really, really helping people a lot. You, you do know that, right? Thank you. I, I hope so. I hope that, you know, if it helps one family feel less alone in this journey, then it's worth it. You know, it's really kind of... It's kind of silly in this way, but um, we, our son and our daughter, Catherine, my wife and I, uh, are kind of host the show. And then our son, 33, and our daughter about to turn 31 in just in less than a month now. But our son, our 33-year-old son, has a cold, and I'm like, God, I hope he's okay. You know, mm-hmm. even that still, uh, Chris, compared to what you went through, but I still get, it's, it still worries me. It, it bothers me. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. You know. that's, that's our job as parents, is to take care of our kids. Yeah, Andy, did you hear that? I did. <laughs> I think he's well aware. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's well aware that I lord over everyone? Yeah. Is that what you're saying, Alex? A little bit. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, how long did it take you to write the book, Chris? It, once I decided, I mean, I had a year, I had 30 months of Facebook posts that served as the basis. Then I went through those, which was an interesting journey going back. Some of them I didn't even remember writing. And then putting it together, um, I worked with two incredible editors, one who is sweetness and light and hugs and puppy dogs, and one who continually soundly kicked me in the rear end. And, <laughs> and and I needed both of them on this journey. Yes. And, oh, yeah. Uh, we really worked together once we had decided, I decided I was putting it into a book form. We worked together for about a year on that process. And they both had worked with me extensively on fiction projects. So we had a level of trust and knowledge of each other that allowed that relationship you know, this was a much more personal piece than I'd ever written before. And they were incredible in both supporting and also pushing me forward in it. And and it was a gift that, that you know, to work with them on that. I think it's so amazing. Uh, and Frank, is Frank Corey your, your, your birth name, your married no, name? No, my married name. It, it is your married name. Yep. Because you do know what that name means, right? I do. A generous heart. Yes. How wonderful is that? Thank you. I think it's just terrific. Well, because you have Crevecore, which is Sacred Heart. That's the only yep. reason I even knew that, because Crevecore, Missouri, uh, near near St. Louis. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, a generous heart. Chris with the generous heart is not a bad name for a mother. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's absolutely true. I I want to thank you for your time. Again, the book is called Of Grief, Garlic, and Gratitude, Returning to Hope and Joy from a Shattered Life, Sam's Love Story. Sam Francoeur, 20-year-old son, dies of an opioid uh, overdose. Opiate uh, overdose. Chris Francoeur, F-R-A-N-C-O-E-U-R. Chris, thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Have a good day. You Bye. too. Bye. I don't know if I can do those kind of interviews anymore. What the uh, hell? That's a tough one. Oh, my God. I, you, well, Alex, you've got two kids now. I mean, you know how I'm that sure is. You. you know, Cassie, mm-hmm. you've got 95 kids. You know what this <laughs> yeah. is. And can I give everybody a bit of advice? Scare the hell out of them about yes. recreational drug use. Oh, I was stop. very scared of drugs when I was a kid. and it, I know. did that to you, and, you know, maybe I traumatized you a little bit, but... <laughs> I remember specifically this one time I took a paper bag and I put a bunch of potpourri in it because I wanted to make like a smelling bag. I was like eight years old. Huffing 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 bag. Huffing potpourri. I sprayed air freshener into it and I was like, Mom, look, I made a nice smelling bag. And she like freaked out. I had no idea why. (laughs) You end up on the streets, homeless. Yeah. How dare you? That was like my first memory of being really, really freaked out by the idea. What was your life? Smelling bag. Yeah. In the basement, hopping potpourri. I liked potpourri when I was a kid. (laughs) It wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the dried up flowers. It would be the the, it would be the probably had (laughs) what's that stuff that they they all had in it when I was a kid. That's apparently like the aerosols, the fragrance, all the fragrance. No, it's it's whatever they put in. Yeah. What the hell was it called again? Oh my God. The aerosol. Right guard, right guard deodorant had it in them. I stopped oh using right guard because it had that stuff in it. And did you spray, secretly have deodorant? potpourri in a bag stashed throughout your house? <laughs> Here are CFCs. CFCs, carbon fluoride. Fluorofluorocarbons. He's being old ladies Flora, on the dark corner <laughs> in the middle Does of the Melissa night. Does Melissa know right. about your potpourri? <laughs> Sneaking out late at night to go <laughs> potpourri in the car. Go to Home Goods. <laughs> Well, you wouldn't believe. I mean, it's scary. Ten-year-olds, I mean, are doing weird stuff with huffing. Oh, Oh, yeah. I mean, ten. So, I mean, eight years, eight years old. Probably there are eight-year-olds that do that. Well, they have to learn it somewhere. Well, one of the one of the best shows that I've actually watched with my kids, my older kids, is Intervention. Because it shows oh, the, yeah. not only it yeah, shows the yeah. process of just the drug use, but mm. how it affects the family mm. and what they have to do mm. go yeah. through and stuff like that. It's not only your drug problem; it's your family's drug problem because they have to deal with it as well. So, I try and explain that to my kids. So, and they they have no interest in drugs that I know of. I had kids <laughs> that when we were in like middle school that would like smell like the dry erase markers yeah. or oh, yeah. the yeah. Well, they used markers. to well, make they had the smelly yes, markers. Yeah. Ones. Hey, guys, yes. Yes. This. Like, <sighs> I know. Let's we'll see if this black one smells yes. like black licorice. licorice. No, that's yeah. just a mess. And they did not taste as good as they smelled, by the way. <laughs> oh, you ate them? I didn't of course eat he did. Them. I licked them, though. Yeah, you had to give it a lick just to yeah. see. Okay. What? It smells <laughs> no. so good, it might taste right. good, too. No. But it does not taste like blue raspberry? Nope. Nope. No. It's a marker. Yes, it is. Yeah, you clearly so, lived a deprived. Like, yeah, <laughs> not licking markers. Okay. Deprived, and I'm so sad you can't lick markers, Andy. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, that is going to do it. Actually, at the very end, I might be able to get this out without falling apart, but my friend, when he was hugging his nine-year-old boy, said, you know, it would be a lot better for you if you went. Uh, Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going away for 24 hours. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.